Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power Calls, I'm Susan Shereko. Welcome. The story behind our next guest's book, Poems from Behind the Wall, is a cautionary tale. Roxanne Chapman's experience echoes the voices of many women who are in abusive relationships. The situations may be more dramatic, but the inability to get out of the relationship is classic. Let's hear her story. So please, wave your hands to welcome Roxanne Chapman. Hello, Roxanne. Welcome. Hello, Susan. I'm glad you were able to make it today. I understand. We had a little technological snafu to get started, but here we are now. <laughs> yes, we're we're up and running now. We're up and running. Roxanne, the title for your book refers to poems that your second husband, Tom, wrote while he was in prison. But the book does not actually include all those poems. Instead, it's your story written 20 years after certain events took place. Do you know why it took so long for you to actually write the book? Yes. Uh, I didn't know whether really to do it or not. And there's always a chance that there's going to be repercussion from his family. Because in a situation like this, it's always, you know, uh, my fault. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he could do no wrong. I, you know, they know he wasn't perfect, but I'm the one that was going to get blamed. And I still live in the town where his family is from. Right. Okay. So why did you finally decide to tell the story? Well, I decided to put my best foot forward, regardless of his family or not. And, of course, I changed the names. That was uh, a big issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh I wanted to put myself out there in hopes that maybe somebody would read it, maybe understand what the victim goes through, and maybe they can avoid a situation that they may be heading into. And those are good reasons to to share what your story is. We need more more voices out there. Uh, this abuse is a a crime of silence, and it is it is over and over again when I talk to authors who've written about their story. That's what they say. It's a we have to break the silence to, in order to break the cycle. So let's go back in time to when this story began. You you married Tom and lived with him and your daughters from your after your first. I guess your daughters are from your first marriage. How did they all get along? Uh, well, we had a very rough relationship. It was a, it's a love-hate. And when he was in prison, he had me convinced that uh, he would change his ways in life. 
and help me out with my situation, which is, you know, I'm self-supporting. I, I paid for the roof over my head, the food, everything. And I, he did have me convinced that he had changed. He got religion. Everything was going to be fine. And I really did go for it. I believed it. And I, so that's why I married him in prison. And he spent four and a half, only four and a half years in prison, I might add, for uh, uh, endangerment. Mm. There was more endangerment than anything else. So, yeah, and when he got out, the second he got out, things went back to the way they were before. And then I thought, well, what have I done? How am I going to handle this? But I all along had the Mother Mercy Syndrome, and I'm mm-hmm. going to cure them. Well, this, this says to me that when you first uh, were involved with him, he already had problems. Yes. Uh, he apparently was doing drugs uh, when he was in... Uh, uh, junior high school, high school, and thereafter. And, you know, I had no idea what drugs were about. So I learned the hard way. And it was a his lifelong problem, but I was going to help him get out of it. And hmm. it just doesn't work that way. Well, did you, did you join any groups or... Or help in any way to try to figure out how to handle this? Yes, I did. I joined um, SAFE that was here in, in town at the time. And they taught me a lot. And the big thing was the cycle of violence, which is very true. And I couldn't have lived it more often every day than what I did. And they don't have safe here anymore, and that's really a shame because they need more programs out there to help abuse women. And it helped me. And then I went on to, of course, other groups. One was our, I would talk at a men's abuse group to let them know what it was like for an abuser to intimidate his victim. And hopefully it helped. I really hope it did, because men out there, I don't know what the problem is, but they need to get... They need help, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you... Now, you, uh, for a long time, did you live with him before you got married? Yes. Okay. And then, um, what happened that actually then put him in prison? Um, well, he blew up my condominium with a pipe bomb. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that is a, that's a pretty intense. Where were you? Were you there at home or were you away? Well, it just so happened that uh, a friend called and they were going to go camping and I had a dune buggy and they said, you know, why don't you and your daughter come along? So that's what we did. We went over to their house that night with my dune buggy, which means my car was home. So he thought mm-hmm. I was home. And so, blew up the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. if I don't answer the door, automatically I've got another man in there. It just oh. them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the rest I read in the newspaper. How frightening. So yeah. he went to prison, and you continued to visit him. And did you marry him in prison? Uh, or once he got yes, out? Yes, I did. Yes, you I did. did. I married him in prison. Uh, because he told me, you know, he he turned his life around. So uh, I really wanted to believe, and so I went ahead and I married him. And marriage only lasted for oh four years. Yeah, he was in but prison. Four years could be. Yeah, four. He was in prison for four years. You said, and then the the marriage itself lasted four years. Oh, that's a long right. time to be in that situation. Um, yeah. What 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 did you discover once he got out? And he, he you said he went he went right back to his old ways. Everything he said right. didn't happen. What what did happen? Well, his uh, he was supposed to uh, of course get a job and everything. He had, he was a he had a very good job before he went in. He was a welder. Uh, for the refineries. And mm. when he got out, he says, well, he pretended like he was going out and getting a job, I guess. Uh, even he told that to his parole officer. And what he said is, he said, well, why should I get a job when I have you? So, mm. he would stay home and I'd come home and find that uh, he had been freebasing. Oh. And then, I don't know why, but I happened to go in his chest of drawers, and I felt something funny in his sock, and I looked, and there was a syringe. Mm. And that's one thing that I absolutely refused to have around me. So the relationship right then and there to me was over. Mm-hmm. Then it was. Um, uh, but you couldn't just walk away, and you couldn't ask. He, he wouldn't leave. No. No, uh, because he was convinced that since he married me, that he had. Half ownership of my condominium, which he was going to take away from me, and he knew it was going to be very hard to get away from him, and I was really afraid. I had, you know, my daughters were around, and I was finally got afraid of him myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out of it. And it's a very dangerous situation. 
very volatile, it sounds like. So were you able to at least get a divorce so that your finances were secure in some way? Well, I finally did have to file for divorce. And when we did go to court, we both went outside and we were talking and he said to him, he says, I'll give up my half of the condominium for your friendship. And I was thinking, well, geez, you know, how many times have you lied to me in all these years I've known you? So I said, let me practice. And I said, <laughs> sure thing. Sure thing. Oh, my God. So I got my condominium back and... Of course, on the way back home, I serpentined through town, and hopefully he wouldn't follow me. So that's how all that came about. And as long as it was on paper, I was I was satisfied. But I still had the problem of how am I going to get away from him because he's not going to stop. And I'd go to work, and one day after work, he was right there at the gate. And he knew all the people that I worked with, so he left. So I had errands to run, and I turned the corner, and sure enough, there he was. He was mm -hmm. coming up from behind me, and he was going to uh, do me some sort of damage. So, I stopped, and he pulled in front of me, and he was going to back up so he could ruin my engine, of course. And I went back to where I worked, and the people I worked with were kind enough to let me through. And I called the police. And unfortunately, I had to set him up to be picked up by the police. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And that happened. They sent him to San Quentin. And mm. I had to go to court at San Quentin because of this accident. And I lost my case because I left the scene of an accident. Oh, my. Yes. Those little things that just absolutely tear your heart out. How can that happen? Yes. It just feels so wrong, but it's the technicality of the law. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So did he become, did he begin to make threats about living and dying? He was always making threats. And the first one started with, well, I want to, uh, I'm going to kill myself in front of you and your daughter. And I I didn't ever believe it. But then, you know, a few years down the line, I thought, gee, I wonder if that really could be true. Mm -hmm. But I really didn't want to find out. But no, no, one, no one would want to find out, but it did happen, didn't it? Uh, he did. He did do that. He 
I lost my car in the divorce. I had to give him my car. <laughs> and he had stopped by my apartment, my youngest daughter and her daughter were there. And my granddaughter was only about three months old. And there was something strange about the situation. Uh, it's the clothes he wears. He never wore white, and he had white on that day. And so I called the place, and I said, ask them politely if they would show up as soon as possible because something was terribly wrong. Well, I seen Tom go back to the car, and he pulled out a red rag, and he kind of hid it in his arms. And I called the police again and asked them, please, to show up quickly. Well, Tom sat down at my door, and my daughter would tell me, what was happening, because I'm hard of hearing, and we heard a muffled sound, and I asked my daughter, she says, I don't know what that was, but then you get the exhale of mm -hmm. breath, and that we heard, and I said, oh no, so I opened the door, and I held his head, and he didn't move. But the police had asked me to shut the door and stay inside. Well, he had shot himself. Mm. And it was fatal. And uh, it took many hours for everything to get cleared up. The coroner, uh, they sent a policeman around to test my daughter and I for gunpowder. And it wasn't all over then because his family were still pointing their fingers and, you know, you're to blame. They always have to have somebody to blame, especially in a suicide. And, of course, I was it. But, yeah. Well, that is, yeah. now, did you have any form of relief? Well... You know, I did. did, did you, you did. Okay. I did. Okay. It it took a while for it to really sink in, but yes, it it took me thirteen months to go through therapy mm. to get over it, and I'm glad I I did it that way because that was just he was just trying to make me feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I think that's a natural response. You know, it, any anyone would feel guilty. It's the other people who reinforce that that make it even worse than it would have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just I think that's a natural response, especially because you say you were Mother Mercy. You know, you had you you were so sure you could fix him, and you could. Yeah. 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 So how did you did when did you did you find that you still were afraid? Were you still looking over your shoulder? You know, how long did it take to let go of those feelings? 
about the time I went through therapy, the 13 months in, I felt finally uh, a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. And nobody was out to get me. So. Well, finally. Uh, okay. Yeah. So how I did you come by better. all the poems? Yep. How did you come by the poems that you, that are the basis of the title anyway for your book? Well, uh, these were poems that he sent me when, when he was in prison. And, uh, so I, I went ahead and I, I thought, well, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and publish it and see if anything becomes of it. I like some of the poems. So I decided to put my best foot forward and go ahead and publish them and, uh, and that was about it. Did you do I any? I mean, how how did the book do? Did you, how did you get it out, or how did you make people aware of it? Well, I didn't really make people aware of it. This is, um, uh, I know <laughs> I should have. And I was supposed to, in you know, publicize my book, uh, and go out there and make people aware of it. And unfortunately, <laughs> I'm also sort of an introvert, and putting myself out in the public is very hard to do. So I just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But you did, you got it out where it's available on Amazon, correct? Yes. And you did join women's groups that were talking about violence, and and um, you spoke at men's groups. You mentioned those just a little earlier. Um, and now here you are again. So it looks to me like you're making progress. Yes. Um, uh, as long as people understand... There's always something to look forward to. Always. And it's a bad situation. You're out of it. Pick yourself up and continue on. And that's so how are you? Exactly what how I are did. you now? Yeah, that's what you did. And how are you now? I'm fine. That's good. Yes, I really, and you're... I, I do have problems. Uh, I do not socialize too much. I do not date anymore, and I will never remarry. So I, I do have some problems that came from this, but I'm no worse for wear. I'm fine with it. And I'm well, happy. And if yeah. you're happy, yeah. And, yeah. and when opportunities, if someone was to invite you to come and speak, would you go and speak? I don't know. Maybe I'd have to cross that bridge when I got to it. <laughs> <laughs> what What would you like to see happen with the book right now? Well, um, it would be nice if people at least take a look at some of these poems and try to understand the situation 
that uh, took place during that time. Mm -hmm. And know that, you know, there's always a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm. And I think that's what he was pulling off on me for for so long. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just have the attitude. It's done. It's over. It's unfortunate the way it happened. But I didn't choose the way. So our, it's yeah. not my fault. It is a very, you know, it's it's an important story in the sense that it is so, it's not uncommon. Women do right. fall into these patterns and they're, they do feel hopeless. They feel like they can't get out of it. They, they, you know, they suffer inside and cannot get the word out that this is going on. And so I'm, I'm glad that in the end you found the courage to publish it, to publish a story, to tell it. Now you're, you're telling it some more here on, on this program, and I think it's invaluable for others. And I, I do encourage you to keep sharing it when opportunities arise. They, it really will help other people to know that what they're going through, they're not alone. Other people have done it too. They will be. They okay. will get through it. Okay. So, well, I want to thank you very much for sharing your book with all of us, Roxanne. You know, I remember when I was in high school. My mom was driving me to school one day, and we had this conversation about men and violence. I don't remember why we had this conversation, but I know we did. And she made a point of telling me that no one was ever to hit or hurt me, and if they did, I was to end that relationship right away. Well, thankfully, I never had to make that choice, but I'll tell you, I remember her lesson. I've never forgotten sitting in the back seat of that car. So. Unfortunately, abusive relationships are still more common than anyone wants to admit, and I want to remind our listeners that we've been speaking with Roxanne Chapman, author of Poems from Behind the Wall. Thank you again, Roxanne, for sharing your story with all of us. Thank you, Susan. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. It was my pleasure. Well, that does it for us today, folks. Bye for now, and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.